Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you for the, just the peace that your presence brings. Um, we want to say to you this morning, Father, that we love you. And our love for you is not perfect like your love is for us, but we want it to be. <laughs> we want to love you perfectly, Father. We want to love you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We thank you that you've loved us in that way. Father, would you please just have your way today? Not myself or anyone else on this stage or anyone else in this room is, is adequate or sufficient to do what needs to be done today in our hearts and in our lives. Um, only you. We thank you for the gifts of your word and your spirit. We pray that they would be powerful in their working among us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning, guys. You can have a seat. If you've got your Bibles, please grab them. Go to Genesis chapter 1. We are starting the new uh, Bible reading plan this year as a church. Uh, if you have not grabbed one of these little deals, you can find them out front on the Connect table uh, after the service. They've got the reading plan on one side and some questions that I'll be going over here in a little bit on the other side. Uh, we believe that all the change happens through God's Word and God's Spirit, um, and so we want to do everything we can to get you into the Word in 2021, and we're just reading one chapter a week this week. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the whole thing. Okay, it's 31 verses, Genesis chapter 1. That is right at the very beginning. Um, you probably got a table of contents or something at the beginning of your Bible, so maybe not on page 1, uh, but it is page 1 of God's Word. Here's what it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, the trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Verse 20, and God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. 
And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps in the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed and with its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray one more time. God, thanks for your word. Open the eyes of our heart now <coughs> that we could see wonderful things from it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, here we are at the beginning right? At the very beginning. I just finished uh, the little series, The Mandalorian, last night on Disney+. Plus. Anybody have Disney+. Plus? Yeah, did you watch The Mandalorian? I don't know. It was okay. But I like little Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda is so cute in that movie. Anyway, um, <coughs> but I was just thinking about that in stories and you know, in Star Wars, is you know, kind of this big epic thing in our, in our culture, and there's, I, I mean, I don't know, like 27,000 different series or movies or whatever made about it. But I was thinking about stories and, and, and backstory, and just how in any epic movie or story, um, somehow woven in there, what'll make it good is the backstory of how that, how that character, how that person, or how that tension why, why that tension's there and how that character came to be kind of who they are and, and all that. And, and this is the story, this is kind of our backstory here in Genesis 1. But I say that and then I want to real quickly correct it because it's not really even our backstory. It's God's story. It's God's story. And, and everything that we see here in Genesis and in all the Bible is is given to us for this purpose of understanding the nature and the character of God, and then that we can understand who we are in light of who he is, right? That's what the Bible's for. And I kind of say that because, uh, you know, I, I touched on this when we were in the book of Revelation, um, finishing up this year with our other Bible reading plan, and we'd read through the New Testament, and you come to the book of Revelation, and usually when I preach in Revelation, you know, people are like, you know, when's the rapture going to happen, or, you know, do you think the Antichrist is already on the earth, or what's that? and I, like, I don't really, like, I think Revelation and all the Bible can maybe inform some of that, but that's not ultimately what the Bible's about. The Bible's about the nature and character of God. It's about who he is, and it's about who we are in light of who he is. 
And so here in Genesis chapter one, like, does the Bible give us some information, touch on like, you know, dinosaurs and, you know, did Adam have a belly button or, you know, who was Cain's wife or like all these different things. It's like, yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit, but that's not what it's ultimately about. It's about God, about his nature and character. It's about who he is and then who we are in light of who he is. Are you with me? This is what it's about. And so I'm not going to be talking about the dinosaurs, uh, or did Adam have a belly button, or how did Cain get his wife, but I do want to talk about God, and in fact, if you guys have been doing this this year, and again, guys, um, just a little aside here as we get going, um, for years, uh, this March will be seven years since we began Mercy Hill, and um, for the first several years, I mean, I would just preach verse by verse through, I mean, we preached through Luke for two years, we preached through Philippians, we preached through Exodus, we preached through, uh, I forget what else, First Peter, all sorts of things. And we would just really take our time doing that. But kind of the, the, the mission that God has given us to accomplish is to make disciples. And I believe in exegetical preaching. Um, you can do that with small chunks of scripture, you can do that with one verse, or you can do that with whole chapters or whatever, and exegetical preaching just simply means that the point of the passage is the point of the message, is that I'm not up here trying to just tell you what I think and try to use the Bible to tell you what I think. I'm trying to tell you what I think the author of the Bible thought when he wrote this, okay? That's kind of that's the point. Um, but one of the things that I found over years of doing that is that we, we, God's word always has impact, but in order for us to make disciples, it is not enough for you just to come on Sunday morning and just to hear a message, no matter how biblical it is. If you, we are called by Jesus Christ in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations. Disciples are learners, they are followers. And in order for you to be a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ, to be fruitful in all the ways that he intends, you have to get into the word for yourself, okay? That's the word and the spirit are what do the work. And so last year we started doing this, you know, we did a Bible reading plan through the New Testament and we just, we liked it. And so this year we're going to, we're going to do the same thing. And on the backside of this little bookmark here, again, just very practical. And I want to kind of take this morning and hopefully give some practical help and teach you how to teach yourself the Bible as I teach the Bible to you this morning. Um, But on the backside of the bookmark, you've got just a couple questions. Whenever you're reading the Bible, you're doing you're doing one of three things, okay? And you might not know that you're doing this, but you're always doing this, okay? There's, there's three things. You're either observing, you're interpreting, or you're, you're applying, okay? So observation, interpretation, and application. As you read the Bible, you're always doing those things. Observation is just simply what's there. What does it say? Interpretation is what does it mean? And then application is what does it mean to me right now in this season in my life? How do I apply this, Okay? So what does it say, what does it mean, and what does it mean for my life today in the here and now? Because disciples are about, are about being obedient. So what I want to do this morning, all that to say is, on this little bookmark, you've got the first two days would be essentially considered observation questions. So Monday, it's what big idea or themes do you see in this chapter? Okay, simple question. Tuesday, what did you notice today that you didn't notice yesterday? That's the thing about reading the Word of God over and over. You can never get everything out of it. And so another observation question. But then Wednesday, you move into what would be kind of be an interpretation question, which says this. It says, what does this chapter teach about the nature and character of God? 
What does this chapter teach about the nature and character of God? And then Thursday is another interpretation question. What does this chapter teach about Christ's sufficiency, all that Christ is for us, and our deficiency? So again, who he is and who we are in light of who he is. And then Friday is just a question about obedience or the things you feel you need to obey in your life. So I just want, that's kind of going to be my, my outline a little bit this morning, is I just want to answer kind of Wednesday's question. What does this chapter teach about the nature and character of God? Um, and kind of show you some things that I see in here in chapter one, and that I'm sure many of you saw this past week as well. And again, as we do this, as we focus on focusing on who he is, from there then he changes he changes us, and he does the work in us. Okay? So, number one, pretty obvious. Genesis chapter one, I feel like this is going to be kind of like a, cop, a captain obvious type of statement. Like, duh, of course. But I also don't think we should rush past this. And we definitely should kind of marinate in the implications of it. But here's the first observation about the nature and character of God. Number one, God is creator. God is creator. And then who we are in light of that, which means we are the created. We are the creature. And again, you're like, of course, Eric, we all, we all saw that. We all, we all know that. Well, we don't always act like it. Right? We don't always act like it. This is what A.W. Tozer said about God. I, I love this phrase. He said, God is holy other. He is in a category all by himself. He is the creator, and he rules over his creation. You're like, what's his creation? Everything. In the beginning, God. It was, it was him. The subject of the first sentence, grammatically, that's ever written in God's word, the subject of that sentence is God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth just because he wanted to. Man wasn't around yet because he hasn't been created, but even if man was, God would not have had to ask for his permission or get his consent or get his input or ask him to hit the like button, hit the little thumbs up or the thumbs down, like, do you think I should do this? God did not take what we thought into consideration. He did it because he is the sovereign creator of the universe. Man, do we forget this. He, he exists in a category all by himself every now and then. My boys do a pretty good job. And again, I have to be careful because my, my poor boys, I mean, I would have no sermon illustrations if it wasn't for my boys. So, <clears throat> But every now and then, and I should be quick to say too that I can find myself doing the same thing. So that every now and then before a meal or whatever, you know, I ask them to pray. I mean, I do that regularly. But every now and then it's kind of like, Dear God, thanks for this food. Amen. And every now and then, I have to say, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? Now again, hear me, I can do the exact same thing at times. But men and women, who, like, who are you talking to? This is the creator of the universe. Everything finds its existence, everything finds its life in him. He gave you life and he can take it away. He doesn't need to ask your permission. 
The psalm said that God is in the heavens. He does whatever pleases him. And whatever he does, it's always just. It's always right. It's always holy. And it's always good. And it's always for his glory. Always. But he, he does not need to consult with us. He does not need to ask our permission or ask our opinion. He is self-sufficient. He has always existed. He is immutable. It means he does not have to change. You know why he doesn't have to change. Why he doesn't change is because he doesn't have to change. He's perfect in absolutely every way. And he created everything out of his own free will, supernaturally. And he is wholly other. He's in a category all by himself. What he did, he did supernaturally. Listen, if I can just wander into this for just a little bit, um, quit looking to science to prove the Bible. Now listen, science does point to, I believe, science points to proof of a creator. Not a random Big Bang or, or, or evolution or any of that. But science cannot prove the supernatural. Science, by definition, science means knowledge, and it's the idea of taking these, these laws and these principles that God put in place. But notice, in the beginning, God didn't create from something else. He didn't take natural laws and then just organize them. There was nothing, and he just simply spoke it into being. That's it. Science is never going to be able to prove the supernatural working of God. Hebrews chapter 11 says that it is by faith that we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things that are not visible. Totally supernatural. Theologians call this, and again, just to give you a fancy word so you can impress your friends, um, but theologians call this, they use the Latin term ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. It simply means out of nothing. He created. He didn't have to work at it. He didn't break a sweat. He just said it. And his words have the power to create life. And this is totally different than anything that man can, can produce. I was very impressed this past week. I was watching a YouTube video on this guy. Have you guys seen 3D printers? You know what a 3D printer is? Okay. This guy created a 3D printer that is big enough to build a house. And it uses concrete. Have you seen this? It's pretty cool. And they hook it up and it, I don't, I, well, like I'm going to try to explain it. I have no idea how he does this. But, but it's this big thing and it just pumps out this concrete. And now it, it's pretty revolutionary because he's saying that you can build an entire house for between four and $7,000. And so they're talking about all the uses that this could be used, used everywhere and even in the third world. Um, but... Yeah, they put it in their little computer and this thing just pumps out this little concrete and builds the walls and all this stuff. Pretty neat. I was pretty impressed by that. But then you come back to Genesis chapter 1. And God didn't need concrete and he didn't need a 3D printer. He just spoke it and it was. He is in a category all by him. Self And again, just to be extra explicit in it, we are not in that category. We are the created. 
Because we're the created, there's a, a few very practical implications here quickly. It's because he is creator and we are the creation or the created. Um, three very direct implications. Dependence, thankfulness, and obedience. Dependence, thankfulness, and obedience. These three things should mark our lives. Dependence, thankfulness, and obedience. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 17, and again, um, this is why creation matters. Um, God made everything. Uh, again, science is not going to prove it. By the way, just a little aside, I, I, also, I, I, I mean, we believe in a six-day literal creation, 24-hour days. Don't care what science says. God said it, and, and, and it was. And by, by, when I say don't care what science says, like they might try to say that that's not true, that's not possible. Yet it, with God, all things are possible. He made all that we see in six days. But Paul draws upon this in, in Acts chapter 17. Paul's preaching, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served through human hands as though he himself needed anything, since he himself gives life to all mankind and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the, on the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Psalm 139 says, Every day ordained for you was written in his book before one of them came to be. He is in charge of your life, and we should be dependent upon him. We are made to be dependent. God is the only truly independent being in the entire universe. Everyone else is dependent. Everything else is dependent upon him. He's the only independent being. Because we're dependent upon him and because he provides for us, we should also be thankful. Romans chapter 1, you'll see that this is at the heart of our sin, this lack of dependence and this lack of thankfulness. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invincible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him as God. But they became foolish in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That when we're not dependent upon him, when we don't acknowledge our dependence, we're also not going to show thankfulness. And right on down the line then, we will not be obedient. The passage that Nate shared this morning, um, I believe it was out of Mark about Jesus asleep, asleep in the boat. Um, Nate, you're trying to steal my thunder there, buddy. I want to read that passage. Um, but Jesus is asleep in the boat. The wind and the waves are crashing over him. And I'll just read the end. You guys know he stands up and he says, peace be still. He rebukes the wind and the waves. And there's perfect calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And it says that they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea, listen, obey him, obey him. Because he's creator, and the wind and the sea is creature, it obeys him. Because he is creator, and we are creature, 
We are to obey him. We are dependent upon him. We should be thankful to him and for him. And we should obey him. And Jesus was asleep in the boat, not because he didn't care, but because he was in total control. He's in total control, guys, at all times. And throughout history, God raises up kings and he brings down kings and leaders. And he raises up nations and he tears down nations. And we are living in a unique time in history. Every season of history is unique. I suppose, but you know, some of the things, some of the images that we saw this past week of people breaking into the Capitol, I never have seen that before in my lifetime, um, and never thought that I would. And I don't know exactly what God's doing, but I do know this, that as a nation, we have not honored him. And we have not acknowledged our dependence upon him. And we have not been thankful we have not obeyed. And when we try to figure out who we are apart from who he is, then you see what you see. It's chaos. And the only thing that we can control, the only thing that you can control here this morning is whether or not you're going to acknowledge those things. Are you going to acknowledge that he's creator and that you're a creature? and that you're dependent upon him, and that you should be thankful for him, and that you should make it your number one priority to obey him. Again, not earning salvation, but because of the salvation that he's given us in Jesus Christ in response to it. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. <coughs> she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. What should a dependent, creaturely being do in response to all this? The next verse, verse 10 of Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Not I might be, but I will be. I will be exalted in the earth. Just like he spoke at the beginning out of nothing and all of a sudden there was something <laughs> that he made, he speaks here and he says that he will be exalted in the earth. Amen? It's good news. God is creator, we are creature. Secondly, speaking about the nature and character of God in Genesis chapter 1, he is a God who loves order, and he, brings, and he brings form and fullness and flourishing and fruitfulness to emptiness and formlessness. If you'll notice, again, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was what? It was without form, it was 
formless, and it was void, it was, it was empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, just, again, there's a lot here we could get into. I don't know exactly what this was, but it sounds like a swampy mess. Um, and it was there because just like everything else, God created everything. I, I don't have time to wander into all this, and I can't fully prove this, but I, but I think that this was the place where the devil had been exiled. When Lucifer, who was an archangel, fell from heaven, God exiled him down to earth, which at that time was nothing but a swampy, dark, formless, void mess. Sounds like a good place to put somebody that you want to punish, right? And so I think that's what this was, but now God's going to step into this place, and he's going to create mankind in the midst of this to show the devil that he can do more with less human humanity, we're the less, with a being that is dependent upon him than he can with a being like Lucifer who is greater than humans but is not dependent upon him. Does that make sense? We're part of a much bigger, a much bigger battle here. Anyway, but it's formless, it's void, and God is going to bring form and fullness and order to all of this. If I can just get the, that chart up there, this is from a helpful commentary um, that I found this past week by Derek Kinder, an introduction to Genesis. Um, pretty simple, but if you just look at kind of the form of what he does here, he breaks it down into form and fullness. Um, another word for fullness, I would say, is, is uh, um, fruitfulness or flourishing. And so on day one, he creates the light and the dark, and then day two, the sea and the sky, and day three, um, the earth. He separates the, the waters. Um, but then he goes through and paralleling each one of those days. So if, you'll no, if you noticed, the sun, moon, and stars weren't created until, um, until day four, but there was still in the beginning light that he somehow just, you know, like, what was that? I don't know exactly, but it, he said it, and it was. There was light in some way. So he creates the, here's the point, he creates the form, and then he, and then he fills it or he makes it fruitful, okay? So dark, swampy mess, dark, swampy mess, and God wants to bring about goodness and life. And in order to do that, in order to cause flourishing, his creation, there needs to be form. There needs to be separation. There needs to be, there needs to be structure. And so you'll see in verse four, God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. Verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from waters. And so there's the waters above and the clouds of waters below the sea. And God made the expanse and he separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, verse seven. You see down in verse nine, doesn't use the word separated, but God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. Okay, so he's, he's beginning to create this form that he's then going to fill or cause to be fruitful or cause to flourish. Okay, this is his, this is his intent for creation. And here's the, there, but there's something very beautiful and very practical here that I think is very helpful for us this morning that I want you to get. And here's the principle that I've tried to just show you. Is that guys, without form, Without form, there can be no flourishing. Without form, there will be no fruitfulness. 
Because he, here's what I would like to propose, is that many of us in here this morning and every heart that's ever existed, apart from the grace of God, um, our souls and our hearts, they are just like what we see in creation here at the very beginning. Our souls are formless, they're without form, and they're void, and they're just filled with darkness. And I've met so many people that, even believers who at, at times it seems like their soul seems formless and void and dark, and it's just a swampy mess, and there's confusion, and they're not sure what's going on. But God wants to bring light into the midst of that. He wants to bring fruitfulness. He wants you, I want you to see this, he wants you to flourish. He wants there to be fullness in your life. He wants there to be fruitfulness in your life. But in order to get there, he's got to bring form. Here's what I mean is that, guys, we, we, we need God to bring order into our hearts and into our souls. This is the, 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 our condition apart from him is darkness. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, just so you think I'm not just making this up or stretching this too far, I believe there's, this is exactly what I believe Paul was picking up on in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul says this, he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, so he's quoting there from Genesis chapter 1, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Is that many of us, we don't want to be dark and we don't want to be void. We don't want to feel empty. Um, we don't want to just be wandering around in nothingness. But that's how it is until Jesus speaks into our hearts, until we believe him, until we repent, until we turn to him, until we trust him. We don't know what's going on. And we feel empty and things are messy and we're confused a lot because there's no form. God wants to bring form in your life. About a year and a half ago, Hannah and I moved into, uh, and the boys, we, we took them along, um, <laughs> moved into a new house. Uh, and uh, and it, it's, it's not a small house, but it's not a big house. And, you know, there's there's four of us in our, we have like one open room that's like, you know, kitchen, dining room, living room area. Uh, and, you know, Hannah's decorated it different ways. But it's incredible. Just this past week, actually, we rearranged our couches. And in rearranging our couches, our room now seems infinitely bigger. <laughs> and there's so much more space. It's the same, it was the same size, but what Hannah did in moving those things around was she brought better form to it. And so now as we, you know, walk down, as we're in that room and we're coming and going and, you know, the boys are constantly every five minutes going to the cupboard to get food or whatever, um, we're not bumping into each other. There's more openness just because of the way things were rearranged. So form brought a sense of fullness or fruitfulness or more flourishing in the way that we interact. You following me? Okay. 
Guys, God wants to rearrange some couches in your heart and life. You with me? He's creator. You're creature. You gonna let him do that? Do you trust that he knows best? Do you trust that he knows how to cause you to flourish? Do you trust that he knows how to cause you to be fruitful? And again, I, this is going to sound really simple, but I'm telling you, when I meet people and they're not flourishing because there's some stuff that's formless and void and empty and dark and some things need to be re- rearranged in their lives, here's what I want to, I want to tell you. you. You can't figure it out yourself. God's the one that gets to move things around. Because again, he's creator and you're creature. But I'll give you a little hint. He gives us some clues on how to do that. Again, how did it happen here? I've already mentioned that. Over the darkness and over the void was hovering the spirit of God. And then added to that, and this is the spark that changes everything, comes God's word. God speaks. God said let there be light. And you may think I'm just trying to sell you a bag of goods. I, I'm not. If you will just get into his word. See, I, honestly, if I can, many times people's souls are a dark, formless mess and they'll come to me and I'll try to help a little bit figure what's going on and what's happening. And I don't want to be overly simplistic about this because I, uh, please hear me, I understand the abuse and ways that people have been wronged and taken advantage of and I'm not trying to make light of any of that or give just a, a simplistic answer to a complex situation or a complex pain. But many times you've got that dark formlessness in, our, in a soul and I just ask the question, how often do you actually get into God's word? And it's usually not very much. (laughs) And again, I'm just saying that from experience. Is if you will get into God's word, like some of you this morning, I just want to encourage you. Because because you might be here and your soul, you might have walked in here this morning with your soul feeling pretty formless and empty and dark. But I want to tell you that in this new year, I believe that this morning the Spirit of God is hovering over your life. He loves you. And He intends good things for you. And if you will just pick up this book and let His Word mingle with His Spirit and speak over your soul, He can rearrange stuff and you can have life and flourishing in you quicker than you could ever imagine. Amen? It's true. It's very true. Worship team, you can come up and we're going we're gonna to close. God is creator <coughs> and we are creature. He loves order. He wants to bring form, fullness, fruitfulness, flourishing to formlessness, emptiness, and darkness. And just a couple questions as we close. Number one, I... Do you believe that God wants you to flourish? 
Do you believe that? A lot of times I talk to people and I think that they believe that God wants for everyone else to flourish. He wants other people to be fruitful, but he doesn't want them to be fruitful. Guys, he wants you to be fruitful. As you go on and you read the rest of Genesis chapter one, again, I, we just touched a little bit here and there. His, his, his mandate, I, sorry, I, I used the word mandate when it was, we were talking about this in small church once night, and, and Katie, was, <laughs> Katie was like, can you use another word other than mandate? Sorry, anyway. <laughs> but his, his, uh, his blessing here that he, that he gives to his creation is that we would be fruitful and multiply. God creates man in his own image and he blesses them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. I just want to challenge you as we close today, like where are you at in regards to belief or unbelief in your heart this morning? Do you believe that in this year, no matter what's going on out there, that God is creator, that you are creation, that he's called you to trust him and to love him, and that he can cause you to be fruitful? And the reason that he can cause you to be fruitful is because he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Again here, guys, very, very, very quickly, this could be a sermon in and of itself. I'm kind of all over the place here this morning. But you see that light at the beginning that wasn't the sun, moon, or stars. Again, Jesus Christ was never, was never created. God didn't create his son, and that's not what it's pointing to. But you do see in John chapter 1, you see that Jesus, this, the second Adam, who, who's coming to make all things new um, and to bring light again into his creation. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. That's Jesus. So he wasn't created. He's the creator and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Is that in order for God to bring form and fullness and fruitfulness into your life, the light of Jesus Christ has got to be there. And the Bible's very clear that this relationship with the light of the world, with Jesus Christ, is not found in anything that we do. It's not found in, in, in coming to church or doing any sort of religious activities. It's found by faith, by trusting him and him alone. He goes on later on in John chapter 1 that to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, that we are born again into what he has for him. Do you believe that God wants you to flourish? And also, <clears throat> as we close, I would just ask you this. Have you been acknowledging him as creator? When we forget who he is, then we forget who we are. And when we forget who we are, we act like something that we were never intended to be. And many of us act like we're in charge. And we act like we're the ones that can bring things about just by speaking it. It's not true. God does that. We just respond to him. You know, in the midst of a, just kind of a crazy world, guys, I, I hope that at Mercy Hill, God's name will be seen as holy. You know, Jesus taught us when we prayed that, he said the number one thing when we, when we first begin to pray is, Father, who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's not just a statement about something that's true, although it is, it's a request. That we would hallow him. That his name would be seen as holy in each one of our lives. And 
for a lot of us, I think what that looks like is, how about we just show a little reverence? How about we just show a little respect? How about we just acknowledge that he's something wholly different than what we are? And start by putting him in his proper place and putting things in order so that we can have order in our lives. Pray with me. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for being good. Thanks for your word. God, I pray that where darkness and formlessness and emptiness exist in this room this morning, I pray that you would fill it. And I pray that you would call, cause souls to flourish and to be strong and to have light and to see Lord, we want your name to be high and exalted. We want you to be high and lifted up. Jesus, you are the light of the world. And the world desperately, desperately, desperately needs you. And God, together right now, we just join together in prayer and in faith and in belief that with all the chaos and darkness that we see in the world, that you are still, you are still the light. And I pray that you would Show yourself to be that among us. And I pray that the world will be drawn to it. That as people are wandering around in darkness, I pray that among us in our individual lives and as a church, that they would see light. That you'd create beauty, Lord, out of chaos. We love you. Thank you for everybody here. Pray that you would have your way in our lives this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.